This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. We are in the last week of October, which means the holiday season is about to be in full swing. It's honestly hard to believe, but here we are watching leaves change and fall, carving pumpkins, drinking apple cider, and making plans for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I have a few holiday episodes coming, but we'll be taking a break for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's week. This week, my conversation is with Brandy Goble. Ten years ago, Brandy was involved in an extramarital affair when her husband Matt asked if she wanted to fight for their marriage. Today, she shares her story, and we talk about unrealistic expectations we often put on our spouse, destructive behavior we use to numb ourselves, how Matt's invitation was Christ-like, and pressing in to recovery work. Listen to what Brandy shares about her husband Matt's initial response to her affair. I'm not going to chase you down and make you stay here. If you want to leave, you can pack your bags and go. And the kids and I will be just fine because God will carry us through this. And he said, but if you want to stay, I will stand beside you and fight with you. And that even now just remembering that just gives me absolute goosebumps because what he did was he gave me a physical representation of Jesus where God very much says, I have given everything to be in relationship with you. And I want to be in relationship with you. I want to fight beside you to have this relationship, but I'm not going to force you into this relationship. I'm not going to make you come to me and surrender your life to me, but I offer you salvation and eternity as a gift. Hi, Brandy. Thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. Will you go ahead? Let's just jump right in and tell our listeners a little bit about you and your family and what you do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I am Brandy, and I married my high school sweetheart. We have been married now for almost 25 years, and we've got two kids, uh, my son, who is 19, and my daughter, who is 17. They're both living at home, and yeah, we're just, we're in that really weird, awkward stage of, of parenting where they don't need us quite as much, but they need us enormously right emotionally Mm -hmm. and spiritually and it's it's exhausting yeah and our daughter still doesn't drive really yeah and so I'm still having to tool her all around to get to dance classes and all of that now is that a by choice thing for her yeah she's nervous yeah yeah she's just nervous yeah so and and unfortunately she likes well unfortunately she likes driving with my husband more than me (laughs) <laughs> but my husband's schedule doesn't work with hers real well, right. but I stress her out. So, and I can understand that. So, I mean, I've said know. so many times when my kids start driving, my husband is going to have to do it 
because yeah. I think I just exude anxiety when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> exactly. Maybe yeah, it's just a mama kids. thing. It might be. It might be. It was my dad that taught me how to drive me too. too. Yeah. The first time I tried to drive with my mom, I almost killed the transmission and the cat and, and she never drove with me again. So, you know. <laughs> oh, I remember. It's been a long time ago, but it feels like yesterday when I think <laughs> exactly. about learning to drive. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. But so tell everybody a little bit about what you do. Well, right now, oh my goodness sakes, I do, I, I wear a lot of different hats. Primarily, I would call myself a stay-at-home mom, except that in that I'm, uh, I'm a host of a podcast, uh, The Road Home to You, and I co-host that with my husband. And I also last year started designing cross stitch patterns, which sounds so dumb and old fashioned. No, girl. (laughs) Well, needlework has really made a resurgence in in popularity. So I've got a a really good friend here locally who's a a well-known designer. And she's like, you know, you should think about designing because I have a creative artistic bent and I love needlework. And so I gave that a go. And and so I'm working on that. And then I also just am starting up a ministry here at our church called Revision. Okay. And it's a recovery-based ministry where where people can learn about codependency and uh, abuse and grief and how to live life through God's lens. And, and so that's kind of what the, what the name comes from, revision. You know, first of all, that idea that your story isn't finished yet. Absolutely. We're still in process. But also for us to gain a new vision of God and a new vision of ourselves the way God sees us. Yeah. Well, and I have a feeling we'll end up talking about that a little bit today as we dive into your story. Yeah. And so as we get going, I always like to ask the people that I'm interviewing, you know, how did you come to know Jesus? How did that relationship for you begin? Share a little bit of that with us, and then we'll just jump into what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, uh, so I was seven years old when I started going to church. My mom was born and raised a Catholic. My dad had been born and raised a Mormon, and they went off, yeah, they went off to college and both just said, forget it, to Mm -hmm. their parental religion and walked away from their churches. And then they met each other and kind of had a shotgun wedding. And, um, and then I came along about five years later. So when I was about seven years old, my mom started taking my brother and I to church and we met in the basement of our pastor's house. And it was such a cool experience to just be so warmly invited into this home. And, you know, it was just all these strangers, but I grew up in a, a little mountain town here in Oregon and our pastor had a heart for everybody. He was such an evangelist. And so we had hippies and we had ex-convicts and we had sex workers and we I mean we and, and then we had people in three-piece suits. You so know, awesome. like we had such a weird diverse congregation. And eventually after a few years we ended up build, uh, building a, a log uh, log cabin church so cool. in the area. And it was about when I was 10 that my dad came to know the Lord. So I was seven and I went off to Bible camp and I was there with my best friend and terrified. I mean, I was just because ter- it was like a, a three or four or five nights long. I mean, it was it was an overnight camp. Right. We're seven years old. Oh, yeah. And it was absolutely frightening to be gone from parents for so long Yeah. and placed in this you know, location that we didn't know anybody and we didn't know our way around. And then 
for whatever reason, the camp counselors decided it was a good idea to take us on a hike. Well, my daddy was a Boy Scout leader, and he always told me, you walk with a walking stick. So I grabbed myself a walking stick, and we're walking along. And they had, some of the counselors were hiding in the woods with scary masks on. And by scary masks, I mean like- At seven years old? At seven years old. Oh, sweet Jesus, I would have met him too. (laughs) (laughs) So they would jump out at us. And I ended up, one of them jumped out right in front of me and I ended up rearing back and I, and I poked my best friend who was behind me with my stick right in her eye. Oh no. And uh, so she was rushed off to the hospital. She was fine, but it was a very traumatizing experience for both of us. (laughs) And, and then uh, we were convinced that our cabin was haunted because we were seven and, you know. Mm -hmm. And monsters live under the bed when you're seven, right? Right. Well, and clearly they lived in the forest because <laughs> so it was a frightening experience all around. And um, so all of these scary, scary things were happening. And I'm seven years old and I'm uncertain of everything. And uh, and then all of a sudden, my uh, cabin leader got news that her dad had died. Oh, wow. And you know, while we're at camp and her response to it was, of course, grief. But watching her go through that, and I remember just thinking, how in the world do you even continue to stand when your dad has died? And she just sat down and she said, because I know my daddy's in in heaven with Jesus. Mm. And I was like, you got to tell me more about this because I want to know that I get to be with my dad forever. And so she told me about Jesus and she told me about following Jesus. And both my best friend and I accepted the Lord that night. And it's been a rocky road ever since. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, nobody says coming to know Jesus is going to make your life easy. It just means you're saved and are going to spend eternity with him, right? And experience his faithfulness. It's been probably one of the hardest things I've ever done is follow Christ. Mm, Yeah. Quite humbling is how I often put it. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about your marriage. And so, Will you tell us how you and Matt met and just a little bit about what marriage was like for you early on? Yeah. So we met in high school. He moved to our town. It was our junior year. And uh, I was in theater sitting at the drama table one day for lunch. And our drama teacher came up with this cute little blonde headed kid with shaggy hair. He looked like a surfer boy. Yeah. And I had a weakness for surfer boys. And (laughs) turns out he was a farm kid. He was not a surfer at all, but he was a farm (laughs) kid. But his little shaggy blonde hair and his cute little dimples just jumped out at me immediately. And our drama teacher introduced him to the table and said, this is Matt. He's in drama. I want you guys to take him under your wing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I will take him wherever you want me to. Now, how old were you guys at this point? I know it was high school. Oh, 16. Okay. 16, 17. Yeah, 16. Yeah. And I I turned to my best friend within probably that first week and I said, I'm going to marry that boy one day. Wow. And uh, and she said, Brandy, you say that about all the cute boys. And I said, yep, (laughs) that's true. But this time I mean it. And uh, we ended up dating off and on for several years. And but every time we were in the off stage, our friendship really had an opportunity to grow. We never stopped being friends. And it was during our last off time 
because we'd gone through that whole, you know, we're both two good Christian kids that had decided that we were going to wait to have sex until we were married. And then, you know, and then hormones take over and pretty soon you're finding yourself breaking all your rules. Yep. So every time we would have sex, he'd break up with me. Yeah. The so, shame and the guilt take over, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, so finally he broke up at one point and I was like, you know what? Forget it. I've already lost every, I mean, I've given up everything about myself. Hmm. I've already compromised all my standards and morals anyway. So I might as well have fun and live large. And so that's what I did. And I just went completely off the deep end and, and he just sat back and watched and prayed for me Mm -hmm. and stayed my friend the whole time and didn't ever approve of anything that I was doing. Didn't condone any of it, but he also didn't ever judge me for it. And he just really showed himself to be a good and loyal friend. And finally, uh, my parents had given me an ultimatum that I needed to either move out of the house or change my ways because they were done. Yeah. And I, uh, I ended up going to youth with a mission. Wow. And, and my parents had introduced me to the idea. The only reason I went was because I could travel and I could do theater. And my whole plan was I was going to ignore God for the entire six months. And that doesn't work. It does not work. <laughs> no. When when God is pursuing you, you cannot outrun him at no, all. You're so and, right. <laughs> but I sure tried. Yep. So I did that for a couple of years. I did I did two years of Youth with a Mission, um, did the discipleship training course, and then I did the School of Biblical Studies. And then when I got home, Matt and I got back together. And at that point, we decided if we're going to get back together, it's because we're, we have an eye towards marriage. Right. And uh, so we got married. In 1995, and I expected that everything from that point on was going to be exactly as I had planned. Yeah, And I thought, yeah, I thought, you know, we're going to have two kids. We're going to have a cat and a dog. We're going to have a white picket fence. And he's going to be the spiritual leader. And I'm going to be the, you know, the Donna Reed type of wife. (laughs) And, you know, there's going to always be a great meal on the table and breakfast out on the table every morning. And the house will always be clean and the bills will always be paid. And that is 100% not what happened. Right. Unrealistic expectations that we so often put on ourselves and on everybody else around us. Yeah. And I am the queen of Mm. unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And we lived out of state. Mm. So we were a couple states away. We were out in Utah and our family was back here in Oregon and I hated it. I absolutely hated yeah. being away from my family and from my friends. And I didn't like the climate because, you know, I'm surrounded by just lush green everywhere here in Oregon. Not the desert. Right. Yeah. And uh, even even though we lived in the Wasatch Mountain Range, it still, oh. it wasn't Oregon. It wasn't home. And I wanted to be home. And two years into our marriage, uh, my dad died. Oh, yeah. And at that point, I just I said, I'm I'm moving back. I'm going back to Oregon. You can either come or or not. I don't really care at this point. Mm. And I'd also had a miscarriage uh, shortly after my dad died. And so it was just it was unmet expectations. And it was a lot of loss right at the start of our marriage. And uh, and I was I wanted to be done. So did he did you all end up moving back and he went with you? Yes. Yeah. And and that. When I look back on it now, I realize the incredible sacrifice that that was because he actually, he was so close to being done with his bachelor's degree, but he wasn't quite finished. Oh yeah. Which is why you all were in Utah, I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 And so he left, he left Utah and followed me to Oregon. 
and said, we'll figure it out when I get there. And he did. He eventually was able to get to get his degree, but it was delayed and it was a lot harder because because I was I was a stinker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I can certainly relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, eventually you became involved in an extramarital affair. And in what I know of your story, there are definitely things along the way that you have identified in just your personal life and in your marriage that were kind of warning signs. But, you know, it's so easy to look back and reflect and notice those things in hindsight. And so part of why I was so interested in hearing your story is because I want women and men to listen and be able to identify some of those warning signs before you get there. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that you've looked back on and you have realized these kind of were precursors? Well, I think a lot of it goes back to those unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately that's what it boils down to. I had the notion somehow that Matt would be able to sort of meet all my needs. Yeah. And, you know, here we are out of state and I've got this this husband who I'm expecting to not only be the financial provider while he's going to school full time. And I was actually the breadwinner primarily, which frustrated me. And I expected him to be, you know, this loving, romantic kind of guy, which he's not. Yeah. He's very loving, but he's not romantic in like the traditional sense. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually that person and my husband is. So we both have to really, really work because it's just, okay. yeah, we don't do the warm, fuzzy stuff, but we want to feel warm and fuzzy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it baffled me as to why Matt wasn't getting that, like why he couldn't do that. And now I look back and I think, well, he didn't do that when I when we were dating Mm -hmm. either. So I don't know why I expected it to change when we got married, but somehow I did. And then I expected him to also be my best girlfriend because I didn't have girlfriends. Then my dad died and I expected him to be my dad. And, you know, it was just all of these expectations put on one person who under the best of circumstances cannot meet all of a person's needs. And then beyond that, I tend to be somebody, I know you're familiar with the Enneagram. Yeah. I'm a four. Oh, and yes. so, I so you this- need all the feelings. I need all the feelings and I have this constant feeling of never being fully understood, never being fully appreciated and always having to, like, I just need a ton of validation, right? right? Yeah. And it's so hard when I have a husband who is a five, who's very (laughs) in his head, very much a thinker and not a lot of a feeler yeah, and certainly not expressive with those feelings. Yeah, You know, so again, it was just those unmet expectations and they're good needs. I mean, they're not bad needs to have. And, And so I don't fault myself for having those needs. Right. But I fault myself very much for where I was looking for those needs to be filled. Right. Cause there's no human being who can meet all of our needs. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that yeah. is such a prevalent, I you hear that time and time again, you know, like my spouse doesn't do this. My spouse doesn't do that. And it is like you, that heart check of, wait, what am I expecting them to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't be and do everything for us and they're not supposed to. Right. Yeah. Well, cause if they can, then where's, there's no room for God. I, I know. Why do we need Jesus if there's another person who can meet all <laughs> exactly. of our needs? <laughs> 
Exactly. I have a savior. His name is my husband. That's right. <laughs> nope, that doesn't work. <laughs> and there's absolutely no pressure to be that husband, right? Like, it's like, oh my gosh, who wants to feel fill that role? I mean, it's just yeah. absolutely unreasonable. Well, tell me, how did this whole thing play out? Like, what ended up getting you to the point where you said, I'm going to participate in this extramarital affair because so often people will say that had never happened to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were a believer at this time and no way I would never do that. My spouse would never do that, but there is great danger in that attitude because Mm -hmm. it is all one step away. It's one thought away. It's one action away. And so kind of walk us through that and how it really was just one step away. Yeah. You know, had I been really honest with myself at the very start of our marriage, I actually started toying around Mm. with an affair within our first year and a half-ish of our marriage. And again, that goes back to those unmet needs. And it was, you know, that was the time when everybody was getting computers and AOL. Do you remember AOL chat rooms? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Dangerous, dangerous places for lonely people to hang out. And I met a guy online and, you know, and it was just a flirtation, but that opened a door for me. And then when my dad died, I connected with a friend from high school. Again, it was just a flirtation, but it was always kind of this, um, you know, in the back of my mind, I recognized that Matt wasn't meeting all of my needs, but I was finding other men to fill those voids. And I knew it was unhealthy. Yeah. But I didn't know where else to go to have those needs met. And I didn't know how to express them to Matt. And so I just kept finding other places. So when it when the the actual affair began, it was at a time, honestly, here's the craziest thing. I was serving at our church mm-hmm. and I was working with the youth group and we were go- we had the guys and the gals separated. And we were going through the study, every young woman's battle and every young man's battle. And so we're talking about sexual sin. And I was the one in the room who had experience with sexual sin more than the others, the other leaders. Yeah. And so I was speaking into these young girls' lives and sharing with them all the reasons why not to engage in premarital sex and why you should follow God's ordinances for, for sexual relationships and intimacy and all that stuff. And the guy that I was involved with was over on the men's side doing the same thing. Oh, wow. And we, we were, our families were friends. We were really tight. We did a bunch of stuff together and, and one day a door opened and we both just decided to kind of walk through it. And it wasn't anything that either of us had planned. It wasn't anything that we had set out to do, but it was definitely something that we had, as we talked about it, that we'd both kind of, you know, imagined or fancied or fantasized about, you know, for years as, as we were growing in our friendship and Mm. uh, had kind of sort of, you know, tickled that idea in our brains a little bit. And so then the door opened and, and not only did we walk through it, we just like, we knocked down the whole damn wall kind oh, of a thing. Wow. Sorry, I shouldn't have sworn. But, wow. Um, You're in good company, girl. <laughs> okay. 
I'm the um, one who could totally wear a shirt that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. And I know I should not be <laughs> bragging about that. And I'm not trying to. I'm just being honest. There you go. There you go. So tell me, though, you knock down this door and you share something in a podcast with your husband where you all are talking about the affair. And it just really, really caught me in your whole thought process about God during this time. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so we ended up actually moving right after, almost immediately after the affair began, we moved clear across the state. But Matt, and so Matt did think, not know this at this point. Matt did not know. No, yeah. no, no. It, it was not revealed. Nobody knew. And you would think, okay, well, you're across the state from each other, so you can't continue in a relationship. Well, yes, you sure can. And we did. And we continued in that relationship for three years and and continued to keep secrets for three years. And in that time, I was running so far from God. I was not going to church any more than absolutely necessary in order to kind of keep the peace. Meanwhile, our marriage looked like it was doing fine. Anybody on the outside would have said that our marriage was good. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, I'm living a complete double life. But if God didn't want this to be happening, well, why would he allow for all of these opportunities for us to keep getting together? He wouldn't allow it if he didn't want it to be happening. So it was the, it was the most bizarre justification you could possibly imagine. Because, you know, I mean, obviously I knew God wasn't approving of this relationship, right? but it didn't seem like he was closing the doors to it either. And for some reason that seemed logical to me. Isn't that interesting how we can let one little lie in and it just takes over. And I don't say that so that any listener thinks, oh my gosh, if I ever believe one lie, I'm never going to get out of this. And it's just going to be you know, no hope for me, because as your story is going to continue to unfold, there is hope. There has been Mm -hmm. restoration, but it's required a whole lot of work and a whole lot of Jesus. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, it's amazing how one little lie, and then all of a sudden, the way we justify sin is just incredible. Well, and you can find rationalization in absolutely anything. Absolutely. The enemy is so good at knowing where our weaknesses are and then just picking away at it just Mm -hmm. little by little, little by little. It's nothing major until all of a sudden it's turned into an absolute crisis, which is what was happening. It was just the snowball effect from that first year and a half marriage where I was chatting with the guy on AOL to all of a sudden having a full-blown extramarital affair. Mm -hmm. There was about a 12-year gap between those two events. Yeah. But they just kept snowballing. And I kept allowing those lies to be the thing that drove my beliefs and eventually my behavior. Yeah. Well, and at that time when you were involved in this affair, did you already have your two children? Yes. Wow. And how old were they? Do you remember? Um, Our daughter was, when it all came out, our daughter was going into first grade, I think. Okay. And then our son was going into fourth or she was going into second. He was going into fourth. Wow. I think. Yeah. So you have this whole family. Well, so talk to us a little bit about when it did come out. You live completely across the state from someone you're involved with. Well, at, at this time, we'd actually moved back okay. to, to the area. So we, we only lived across the state for a year. Um, my husband had a teaching job and then it ended up not 
it ended up being a bust. Um, so we ended up moving back to this area because this is where we had family and this is where we had our, our community mm-hmm. and, um, and ultimately where we wanted to raise our kids. Right. We came back here and, you know, just picked up right where we had left off me and this, this other guy. And, and then that went on for another two years. And so then when it all came out, it was an explosive situation and I won't get into all of the details of how it came out, but what ended up happening is I found out that the secret was out and I wanted to be the one to tell my husband. And so I, I walked back into our house. I, I was outside when I found out everything and Matt was inside and he could see, um, I, cause I was talking to some people that were letting me know that our secret was out. Oh, wow. And Matt saw the conversation happening between me and, and this other couple. And he saw the body language and he knew something was horribly wrong. And he thought somebody was injured or dead or whatever. Right. And I came and I came back into the house and I said, Matt, I've had an affair. And, you know, like that was the last thing he was expecting to hear. Right. Right. And I just was sobbing. You know, I was sobbing because for so many reasons, one of which was because I was caught. Yeah. One of which was because I knew that relationship was over and that was heartbreaking for me. But I was also sobbing because here is this man who I've been best friends with for all these years. I mean, he was my high school sweetheart. Right. And we've been married and we've got kids and we've established a life together and I've completely betrayed him. And I was crying for the girl who had all of these hopes and expectations for what her life was going to look like. And everything was falling apart. And I was crying for my kids because I wasn't sure if they were going to have me in their life anymore because I didn't know how Matt was going to respond. There were so many reasons why I was crying. Right. And I told him, I said, Matt, I've got to leave. I have to go. I'll be back later tonight. And I got in the car and I drove to my best friend's house about 15 minutes away and chain smoked the entire time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it is not funny, but that just caught me off guard. <laughs> well, smoking was always my go-to, as was drinking. But oddly, I didn't drink after after that. Like... Because drinking was a problem that I was having during that whole time. And, um, sin and I was, gets sin, doesn't it? And I'm not saying drinking is a sin, but I'm talking about abuse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was very much, I was using the alcohol to numb, numb. Mm-hmm. what I knew what was wrong in my life. And, you know, who wants to cr- confront reality? Mm-hmm. I'll just drink it away. Because yep. <laughs> that yep. works so well. <laughs> you think um, it does until you're... 10 feet under and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm out of control. Exactly. Exactly. So, so how did Matt respond? To... So I got, I got back from talking with my best friend and you know, that poor guy, I mean, he'd just been saddled with like this huge bomb. And then I walk out and he still has two kids that he has to, to take Fair care fun. of and feed dinner to and tuck into bed and try not to fall apart. Meanwhile, he doesn't know what in the heck is going on. Yeah. And you know, oh my gosh, awful, awful, awful. And I came home and we sat down and he said, Brandy, I love you. Mm. I've loved you since we were kids Mm. and that isn't going to change. And he said, but I'm not going to fight for you. Yeah. I'm not going to chase you down and make you stay here. If you want to leave, you can pack your bags and go. And the kids and I will be just fine because God will carry us through this. And he said, but if you want to stay, I will stand beside you and fight with you. Wow. And that 
even now just remembering that just gives me absolute goosebumps because what he did was he gave me a physical representation of Jesus Mm -hmm. where God very much says, I have given everything to be in relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And I want to be in relationship with you. I want to fight beside you to have this relationship, but I'm not going to force you into this relationship. I'm not going to make you come to me and surrender your life to me, but I offer you salvation and eternity as a gift. And that's exactly what Matt did. Matt extended grace to me as a gift. And all of a sudden, literally for the first time in my life, I looked at Matt and I did not see Matt. I saw God. And even though he was extending this enormous gift of grace to me, I said, I need some time to think about it. Mm. Because I knew that was such a heavy thing that he was offering. And I knew that if I stayed, it meant everything had to change. Yeah, It couldn't just be putting a Band-Aid on it, which was the only thing I'd ever known how to do was just shove a Band-Aid on cancer and call it healed. That's just not the way it, that recovery works. It's <laughs> you know? not. It's deep, deep heart and head work. Yeah. So I came back to him a couple of days later. And in the meantime, we're talking. We were staying up talking every night uh, till four o'clock in the morning. Fortunately, at the time, he was laid off from his job. And so he was working some odd jobs just kind of for, for friends and, and stuff around town. And I wasn't working at the time. So we had all of this free time to just be together. And it was really good healing time. And so after a couple of days, I went back to him and I said, I want to stay and I want to fight for our marriage. Yeah. And it was like we linked arms and he said, "Okay, Brandy, let's go. The first thing we need to do is get back to church. And I was like, ah, dang it. I knew that's what you were going to say. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. But (laughs) I knew yeah. Yeah. Because if the so, enemy can stiff arm us and keep us as far away from God's word and truth and his people, I mean, so often he wins the battle. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, and we were so lucky because, you know, here we are back in our community and I still wasn't going to church because I didn't want to. I was certain that if I was in a room with the people that I had worshiped with, for all of those years that they would that they would see the scarlet letter A emblazoned on my chest yeah. and no even though it hadn't come out so i was avoiding a lot of relationships and and communication with people and kind of just doing my own thing and so when we when he said okay we need to get back to church we couldn't go back to the church that we had been at mm-hmm. where i had been serving but that church family really loved and supported us and that was a, an amazing amazing gift um, from them But what we ended up doing was we went to a church in a whole different town, and it was a big church. We went to the biggest church we could find that was close enough. And my thinking was, if God doesn't strike me dead when I cross the threshold, (laughs) because I thought that was a real possibility, uh, I want to sit in the back row, Mm -hmm. and I want to leave the second the sermon is over. You know, I just want to get in and get out and go unnoticed. But our daughter, who was, you know, six or whatever years old at the time, she was really upset that we weren't going back to our church Mm. because she had still been going to church. Matt had been taking the kids to church, even though I wasn't going. And she was really mad that we weren't going to be going there anymore. So to placate her, I said, "Okay, honey, you can go ahead and choose where we're going to sit. That was. Oh, yeah, girl, front row. (laughs) She did. She chose the front row right in the center. And I said, nope, not here. 
And she moved us back one row and said, we're not going back any further, mom. So we sat in the second row center for the whole time that we attended that church. And that first Sunday, because I'd been out of church for three years, I was completely out of tune with worship music and had no idea what was even being sung anymore. And that worship pastor sat at the piano and he sang God's grace over me mm-hmm. and just looked at me the whole time. It yeah, felt of like, course. right? It wasn't really, but it felt like it. And God's grace just washed over us. And Matt and I just sat there for three months. And all we could do was just cry yeah. and hold each other and just let God love us and heal those broken places. Yeah. Well, and in time, you did begin that incredibly difficult but necessary crucial road of recovery. Yeah. You know, you knew in order for the adultery not to occur again, that you really had to get to the root of the sin. Like you said, it's no more putting a Band-Aid on it. But instead, I got to go deep. I've got to uncover a lot of my heart and head issues, these things I keep revisiting so that we don't end up back in this spot. What was that process like for you? You know, it was it was really interesting because I recognized As soon as Matt said, we need to go back to church, I said, okay, that's fine, but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real, and I'm not going to put on the mask of the good Bible study Christian wife, because I'm really good at putting on that mask, and I can can fake it super duper well, like so many other people can and do, and I told him, I said, I have to be honest, and right now, I don't know if I trust God. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't trust me. And we're kind of on the outs right now. So this is going to be hard. Yeah. And the church that we were going to, this big church where we sat in the second row center was locally is kind of known as a triage church. This is the church people go to find healing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people in the community come to this church without knowing God, but they come into these recovery groups. As we kind of got involved with this church, it was interesting timing because everything had come out, um, the the affair had come out in the summertime. So then as we were getting involved with this church, they were starting to kick off kind of their new ministries for the fall season. Mm -hmm. And they were having like a a ministry event where they had all this. Yeah, yeah. So I went over to this table and met this cute little Texan lady who is shorter than me, had a thick old accent. And she said, I I was like, here's what I need. And she said, she's like, girl, I've got you. Let's get you into a codependency group. Or I can't remember exactly what group it was, but she, what turns out she was heading up the recovery ministry at that church. And she became my recovery mentor for two years. Wow. And in that time, I went through anger management. I went through untangling complicated relationships. I went through codependency. I went through addiction recovery. I went through just all these things, including the Genesis process, which is Mm -hmm. an amazing group. If you're ever able to do it, you should do it. Um, Everybody would benefit. And then I also joined the Women's Bible Study, and they had chosen this series you know, they knew from the beginning, like what books they were going to be doing through the entire year. And the very first book that they were doing was Beth Moore's When Godly People Do Ungodly Things. (laughs) And I was like, well, that pretty much sums me up, right? Yeah. 
And then from there, we went to Breaking Free and then The Life of David. Oh, wow. And it was just this amazing, like all these stepping stones to figuring out what it was inside of me that was broken and crying out for this validation, for this constant need of approval and attention. And why did I have such longing in my heart? And if Matt couldn't fill it, and if other people weren't supposed to fill it, then who could fill it? And really finding that Jesus is more than just a 20-minute devotional in the morning. Yeah. He's more than a Bible study group. He's more than the worship songs that we sing on a Sunday. He is a relational God Mm -hmm. and he wants to be intimately involved in our lives. And when we allow him that opportunity, he can fill those needs. But like I said at the start, he's not going to force his way into intimacy with us. Mm-hmm. He's not that kind of a God, I know. right? I interviewed Jan Johnson a while back, who's an author and a spiritual mentor. Mm-hmm. And the way that she talks about Jesus just being the companion of your soul. Yeah. It's just like, yes, it's so hard to describe. But when you get to that place of intimacy with him, where you can just sit Mm -hmm. before the Lord and realize your presence is here. I don't have to work for it. I just have to welcome it. Yeah. And there is work that has to be done, but it's not a striving to please him. It's a him saying, let me sanctify you because that's the only way you can be near to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I just this morning I was praying and I was like, God, would you, I was praying for this interview in particular. And I was like, God, would you be with us today as we're talking? And then I stopped and I said, God, that is the dumbest thing I've ever said. You will be. Because yeah, like I couldn't run away from God if I tried hard. He is always with me wherever I am. So then I was like, I need to change that to God, would you help me see you where I'm at? Mm -hmm. In the places I'm in, in the conversations I have, as I interact with people, would you help me recognize your very real presence in the room with me? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as we mature and deepen our faith and as we understand God more, you can't help but see him in the details, Mm -hmm. you know? For sure. But I think it's so easy to get stuck in the shoulds and the ought tos and the way things... Yeah. And we, and we see these examples of these godly people, but we only see glimpses. We don't get to see the ins and outs of their yeah. daily lives yeah. and, and what goes on behind closed doors or what goes on inside their heads and hearts, mm-hmm. because we're all so good at wearing masks. And that was the thing. Ultimately, I realized I had a life of secrets mm. and I had a whole secret fantasy life. And it was just, again, it was me seeking validation and seeking for something to fill this empty void in my life that nobody was going to ever be able to fulfill. Yeah. Well, let's say there's somebody listening right now that is maybe involved in an emotional affair, a physical affair, and they are very fearful of the horrible days that might follow if they're exposed. What's something that you would like to say to them? (sighs) Ah. You know, so when we were a year into the affair and we had moved back to Oregon, we were given a trip to go to a marriage to remember seminar. Hmm. And I remember I was really excited about this. And and I even still in in the affair, still in the affair. And I thought maybe this will stop me from doing what I keep doing. And at one point, 
I pulled one of the speakers aside. I don't remember who, but it was one of the, one of the men who was speaking at the conference. And I said, listen, I'm having an affair and I don't know what to do. Mm. And he said, you need to come clean. And of course I knew that that's what I needed to do, Mm -hmm. but it was the most terrifying thing. And I was like, but how do I do that? And he said, you just need to be honest. Mm -hmm. I said, yes, but what's going to happen when that, when I do that? And he said, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I know that you need to be honest. Yeah. And I was like, that's great advice. You suck. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I was so angry and I knew I wasn't mad at him because I knew he was right. Yeah. But I was mad because I was in that boat of, I know what I need to do. I know I need to stop the affair. I know I need to come clean to Matt, but I don't know what the consequences are going to be. And the fact is, is that we just don't, but sin has consequences. Our choices, good or bad, have consequences. And when we allow God to move in those places, even if Matt had said, I'm done, I can't be married to you anymore, God can still use that to shape me, to mold me, to create in me a clean heart, Mm -hmm. to make me into a new creation and give me a new start Mm -hmm. because my story isn't finished yet. Mm -hmm. I'm still alive and I'm still kicking. Yeah. So God is continuing to do something in my life. So I would, I would say if you're in that place, or if you're even thinking that your spouse isn't meeting your needs, it's time to get super duper real and have those hard conversations and they're scary Mm -hmm. and they're, they feel kind of out of control because you don't have control, right? You cannot control how your spouse is going to respond to it. All you can do is own up to your own brokenness and then trust that God is going to turn your ashes into a garland of praise. Oh, yes, girl. It's like, if you continue to walk in it, you're going to continue to feel the feelings that you currently are struggling with. They're not going to just disappear. Right. Until you just face it head on. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it, the anxiety that secrets create, mm. oh my goodness sakes, I could tell stories. I always, <laughs> as, as a teenager, I always had really clear skin. I was blessed with good, a good complexion Yeah, and healthy hair and, you know, all these things. When I was in the middle of living a double life, all of a sudden my Mm -hmm. face broke out into massive zits and I had neck and shoulder pain that was just almost debilitating. I was taking no less than six to eight ibuprofen a day. Wow. I was medicating with caffeine and alcohol constantly. Mm -hmm. Sleep was terrible. I had to like, I always had to have noise going on because the voices otherwise were just overwhelming. I just had massive anxiety and didn't even know it. I was literally so blind to it. And it was when all of a sudden the secrets all came out and and I told Matt, I said, okay, listen, this I'm found out, right? I can't deny this anymore. So I'm going to be super honest and I'm going to tell you everything that you want to know, provided it's not going to unnecessarily hurt you. Yeah. And so any question he asked, provided it wasn't a gratuitous kind of question. Yeah. I just answered and I got super honest with everybody. And all of a sudden my acne gone, my neck and shoulder pain gone. Wow. All of a sudden I'm not popping pills and I'm not needing, you know, I, I quit drinking immediately. Yeah. 
it was just, it was an amazing transformation. Anxiety wreaks havoc on your body. And like you said, it's the secrets that breed the anxiety that lead to just destructive behavior that just completely wreaks havoc on your emotions, your physical body, everything. Yeah, yeah. It's a physical manifestation of it. It just, yeah, it's amazing. Well, you and Matt, um, you're eight or nine years out from this. Is that correct? We're 10 years out of it. 10 years out. Yeah. And you guys podcast together and are still married. And Mm -hmm. so how do you guys use this past experience to minister to, to encourage, to whatever you want to call it, other people? (laughs) The podcast really came out of all of this. Mm. As we worked through things, we realized, because we we really... I mean, even in the middle of an affair, I thought we had a pretty good marriage. It's Um, just so messed up, our thinking, isn't it? Our human thinking, it can be so messed up. So screwy. (laughs) You know, for a lot of intents and purposes, we did have a really good marriage. But we realized that we had some real vulnerable places in our marriage. And one of the things that we did that I think was really interesting, and I've we've counseled couples with this as well, is to go back and to think about who you were as like your earliest childhood memories. When do you first remember being hurt by somebody or feeling that feeling of abandonment or betrayal or loss or lack of being protected or whatever? When was it? You know, what was that situation? What did you look like? Like, where were you in life when that trauma first happened? And Matt and I shared our stories with each other. Yeah. And what ended up happening is because it's so easy to look at our spouses as, you know, these grown up adults who are paying bills and taxes and going to work and raising kids and, you know, all these responsible people or, mm-hmm. you know, allegedly responsible people. Yeah. And just see them as adults. But inside every single one of us, is a broken, hurt little kid. And all of a sudden, I saw Matt not as this grown man who is responsible and all of those things, but I saw him as a little toe-headed boy wandering the streets of Hawaii, walking home from school and having glass bottles thrown at him because he was, he was a Howley. He was white Mm, and, and he was getting abused because of it. And, you know, he was, over five years old. And, and so seeing him in that light, now I can look at the man in front of me and I can still see the responsible God fearing, loving husband and father, but I can still see a glimpse of that scared little boy Mm -hmm. inside of him. And it gives me a tender heart. It reminds me that he's just like me, that we're all in the same boat. So the podcast kind of came out of that. It came out of us recognizing that as good as we think we were doing, we still had a long way to go. It came from us realizing that that this journey as Christians, you know, we don't arrive until we're standing face to face with That's Jesus. Right. That's right. In the in the meantime, we're just on this road trip, you know, and and we're we don't on a know sanctifying journey that <laughs> yeah up and down and sideways and sometimes just in a circle over and over again due to our own flesh and our own doing. But you're right. I mean, yeah, until it's finished, yeah. And we don't know what that map looks like. We don't have it. We think we have a map of our of how we want our lives to go. Yeah. But God is so good at disrupting the map. And sin is good at disrupting the map. Yeah. And and then God is really good at correcting the sin that disrupted the map. You know I, what I mean? Yes, I do. 
So, you know, we just want to talk about, we just want to be real and honest with people. And that's ultimately what it comes down to for us. Yeah. I, I have such a heart for recovery and for broken people because because I'm a broken person. I've, I've been sanctified in a lot of ways, but there's like, I don't know, five billion miles to go mm-hmm. in, Amen, in my sanctification process. Yeah. yeah. And God just keeps revealing things to me in, in my own life that, man, that's flawed thinking. That's screwed up theology. That's a bad view of God. It's a small limiting view. It's, you know, whatever. And we just want to have honest conversations about that. And so yeah. that's that's what our podcast is. We, we talk about uh, just different aspects of the Christian journey and kind of how we respond in, in a broken and messy world as broken and messy people just trying to live as Christ followers. And we want people to understand that there's grace mm-hmm. and that God is, he's not distant. He's not off on some faraway cloud letting us roam. He he cares and he's invested in each of one of us heavily. Yeah. <laughs> he died for us. You don't get more invested than that. So, um, yeah. Well, so we're going to close up by me just asking you, what do you and Matt do to really you know, protect your marriage. Now, it sounds like you shared some of those things, um, particular being open and honest with each other. But I'm just curious, because I know personally, and I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who, you know, think that same thing, like, what can I do to just be more on guard to protect Mm -hmm. myself from what is a very slippery slope? Yeah. (laughs) You know, if there was just one surefire way to protect your marriage from Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the big thing is, well, there's a lot of big things. Even if it's just one or two things. You have to be honest with yourself, first mm-hmm. and foremost, because if you're not honest with yourself, you're not going to be honest with your spouse. Yeah. So it's really important to be self-reflective and to mm-hmm. think about what is actually going on. What is my motivation behind my actions? What do I believe about God? What do I believe my spouse's responsibility is to me? What do I believe about who I am? Yeah. Our beliefs drive our behavior yeah. and and we act, you know, if your behavior is bad, check your belief system. If your thoughts are bad, check your belief system because our, you know, our thoughts stem from our beliefs also. So it's really being self-reflective. It's being honest with your spouse, but it's being honest in a way that is taking ownership for yourself. I can't take ownership for the way Matt is handling himself in our marriage. I can let him know how his behaviors or or whatever might affect me, but ultimately I'm only responsible for me. And God doesn't ask me to fix Matt. Um, God hasn't asked any of us to fix our spouse. That's, that's God's job. We need to let God move in each other's lives rather than try to manipulate Mm -hmm. that to happen. Absolutely. I I think it's really easy to try to kind of use God as a manipulative tool in Mm -hmm. our marriages, but that's not healthy. It's it's absolutely not healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Brandy, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story and really for just you and Matt both sticking it out and doing the hard work. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Amber, for having me on. I really appreciate you just offering to sit down and chat with me for a while. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. 
Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.